they tossed the dice It had to be The only one for me is you And you for me So happy together This side of the choir is doing really well I can't see Good job. We're going to call this the MRCC Mass Choir. Good to see everybody this morning. What a beautiful day it is to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so today we're in our third lesson of the Come Together series. And we're going to launch into that this morning. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, John chapter 12, James chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 6, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And next week we're going to cover the rest of the Bible. It's, it's going to be really good. The, uh, well, in this series, if you're a note taker, there's an opportunity to take notes in your bulletin. But we're talking about what it means to be brought together and then ultimately to stay together. Because there's a lot of people in this world, you know it, I know it, that that they have been brought together by one thing or another, but they are struggling to stay together. It might be a business situation. It might be a family situation. It could be be a church situation. It could be friendships, that that something brought you together, but now the friendship is really struggling, and and you're you're wondering, should we stay together? Can we stay together? And you're you're trying to fight that battle. You're trying to see what's going on in your world and how that can how that can how you can stay tight in your life. And so this series is really beneficial. It's beneficial for our church, but it's also beneficial for any situation in life where being together matters in your life. And for our text, we've been looking at Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2, verses 41 and 42 say, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So last week we talked about how the teaching, the apostles' teaching, brought them together and kept them together. So much so that the early church was so tight in in relationship that it took literal life and death persecution to drive them out. And the reason why that happened is God wanted the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to be shared all around the world. And so it could, he did not want it to be uh, just established and remain there in Jerusalem, but it was to get started in Jerusalem. And then, as he said, to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he, he had a plan for it. And they really weren't following the plan because they were really excited about being together. And the church grew and, and developed, and that teaching was important. But they were also dedicated to fellowship, sharing of meals, and prayer. Now, we talked about how the teaching gave the early church the why they were together and the how they were together. But today we're going to be talking about the fellowship and the breaking of bread or the sharing in meals together. And this is, this is talking about the who. And I told you last week that we were, this is going to be whoville in here today because it's all about who we're together with who matters and the big idea that we have today is this devotion to intentional fellowship develops your life group devotion to intentional fellowship develops your life group 
who you're going to do life with is determined by who you intentionally fellowship with. Devotion gives us the why and how. Fellowship gives us the who of our lives. And thought, we have three thoughts today. Thought number one is this. Fellowship leads to relationship. Fellowship leads to relationship. You will develop relationship with whomever you fellowship with. In fact, a, a very simple definition of the word fellowship could be two fellows in the same ship. Eventually, you're going to get to know one another. If it's just the two of you there, ultimately, you're going to develop some kind of a relationship. Now, in the New Testament church, in the early church, the apostles' teaching was specific. He said, the the word said, the apostles' teaching. So it couldn't be the teaching of anyone else. It was the apostles' teaching that was bringing them together and keeping them together. But when we talk about fellowship, when we talk about the who, that becomes a choice. A choice that we make in life. We get to determine who we're going to fellowship with. And sometimes as a church gets larger, some people who've been there for a long time start worrying about and and thinking that the fellowship of the church is is not going to be there anymore. That, you know, I I remember the days when there was just 30 people. And I remember the days when there was just 150 people. And I remember the days when there was just 300 people. I remember the days when, and people knew each other. Well, and so you start looking around and you say, well, here I am. I've, I've known John and Jill, but, but now I'm looking at folks over here and I don't really know their names. I don't really know who they are. And, and so we start feeling like the fellowship is being lost. And I would encourage you by saying this. The reality is fellowship is growing. The opportunity to fellowship with more people increases because there are more people there to fellowship with. And the reality of most of our lives is that we will, develop about, uh, we will develop strong relationships with about 30 people. And it doesn't matter if we're in a group of 1,000 or 10,000 or 500,000, we're going to know about 30 people. In our world, that's about as big as we get. And so, and so our fellowship remains the same because then we get to choose who we form those deeper relationships with. It's why we're so excited about things like life groups. I can't wait for the life groups to launch later on this year because as life groups launch, we get to join ourselves intentionally with other believers. It's why we encourage people to serve on teams. It's not just because there's jobs to do around the church, but it's because when we serve on teams together, we build relationship together. I think about my, my neighbor, Tom. Tom is a gentleman who was singing right here earlier this, this morning. And, and, and he's, he's singing and worshiping and lead, helping lead us in worship this morning. And, and he came to this church about the same time that I did. And about almost a year ago, August, the first uh, Sunday of August will be the one year mark for us. And so he, he came to the church about then. And what, what I've watched him do is I've watched him connect with one team and one fellowship group and life group after another and build relationships. And, and right now, if I had to say, who knows Tom, many of you would raise your hand. And Tom knows many of you because he's intentionally built those relationships. Your relationship, or sorry, your fellowship determines your relationships. So if, if someone runs into church 20 minutes late, and then runs out of church the moment everybody the moment I say let every head be bowed you're gone and then gets frustrated because you don't have relationships within the church 
I can tell you why. It's not because I'm a genius. I am, but that's not why I can tell you why. (laughs) I'm not. I can tell you why. It's because you're not intentionally fellowshipping with the people of God. Sometimes people will intentionally fellowship at work. They will intentionally fellowship at school. They will fellowship in other areas, but they will struggle in building relationships at church simply because they do not engage in fellowship. In fact, today we have a, a picnic, 5 o'clock. I'll be wearing shorts. Apparently that's a deal. And so we're, gonna, we're, gonna, uh, <laughs> and so we're going to be uh, fellowshipping intentionally. If you're new here, if, you've, if you just started recently attending McCord, or maybe you've been here for a little while, but you don't have a lot of, type, a lot of great relationships right now, this is a great low-key way to connect with other believers in the body of Christ. Well, what's expected of me? Eat. Pretty low bar. Most of us can do that. So it's easy. You're just going to sit there and and eat together and and talk together and build relationships together. Someone around you is waiting for connection. Somebody around you is wanting to connect with you. Someone around you is needing your voice in their life. And you might be needing their voice in your life too. Now, here's the reality. You won't be friends with everyone, but intentional fellowship will will guarantee that you will be friends with someone. I've told this story before, but it still blows my mind every time I tell it. Talking to a young man, he said to me, Pastor, I don't know why I'm not married yet. I just, I just, you know, I just can't seem to find the, the, the lady that, that, that's going to match my life. And, you know, and, and I just, I'm just not married and I, I want to be and I just don't know why. I said, okay, I have a question. When's the last time you went on a date? He said, oh, I don't date. <laughs> we may be, cl- be getting close to a reason here. I said, you don't date? He said, no, no, I, I don't date. I, you know, I just, I just want God. I just want God to, to draw them. And, and, you know, I just want it to be right. I don't want it to be wrong. And, 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 and I said, okay, so you think that you're going to be sitting in your couch eating Cheetos, watching TV one day, and God's just going to materialize a woman there on the couch beside you that's going to be your soulmate for the rest of your life. Well, (laughs) intentional fellowship builds relationship. Thought number two, fellowship brings growth through accountability. Fellowship brings growth through accountability. I'm a better person. When I am accountable to others who are following the same teaching that I am. I'm just a better person. When someone can call me out and say, Micah, that attitude, that's not the right attitude. You shouldn't be having that attitude. Micah, there, you know, that, that way that you're doing that needs to be changed a little bit. Uh, Micah, have you thought about how God has directed us in Scripture in this area? Uh, I'm a better person when I'm accountable to those who are following the same teaching. Now, now I think that it also explains why some of us struggle to bring that level of relationship into our lives with people in the congregation or in the church. And I'm going to tell you why. Who we allow ourselves to be accountable to determines the standard to which we want to be held accountable. So I will find people around me and I will allow people to hold me accountable 
that are at the level that I want to be. So if I don't want to live my entire life according to the Word of God and teaching of God, then I will allow myself to be accountable to people who do not live according to the standard of the Word. And if I do want to be held accountable, then I will allow myself to be accountable to those who, want, who are living their lives according to the standard of the Word. I was in a, a situation years ago where this, this beautiful lady came to the church and and, uh, and she, she was radically saved, and God did an amazing work in her life. And she had been on the streets, and she had been uh, selling herself, and she had been in, in drugs and alcohol, and just a really, a really troubled situation. And, and the whole time, she was living in the home with her parents. And it was a beautiful thing, uh, that they would love her and care for her. And they were always praying for her, that God would save her life. That God would save her soul. That God would change her world. And this, this opportunity came and she became radically saved. And she started changing everything in, there, in her life. And it was, it was awesome. She started attending church regularly. She started cleaning up her world. She got a good job. She, she started moving forward in life. And, and pretty soon she was attending church and getting more involved in the things of God than her family was. And so one day, her family, she came to the office and she said, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling because my family wants me to move out. I said, I said okay, your, your family wants you to move out. She said, yeah, I, uh, they, they want me to move out because they're tired of me telling them about Jesus all the time. Now, this is the same family that used to pray for her constantly. This is the same family that used to just ask God to save her heart and save her life and change her world. And, and now they were saying to her, we loved you when you were that way. We don't, we, we're not okay with it if you're this way. And really what it came down to was the idea of positive comparison. As long as they were the one that she could look up to, they were happy. But as she began to progress in her walk with Christ, they said, you know what? We don't want to go to that, direct, that level. We don't want to do what you're doing in that area. And so I'm just encouraging us today to put, put the people in our life, become accountable to the people in our lives that are living according to the word of God and, and allow them to keep us accountable. It won't be everyone, and it doesn't happen day one. If, if, you're, if you attend the picnic today, and, and maybe you're a guest here this morning, you say, I just want to go check out the picnic and see how it is. If somebody sits down with you and says, listen, I'm here because I want to hold you accountable to the word of God move seats just change seats okay change seats that's that's dude that's that's weird that's not gonna work but once relationship is developed well that takes us to another level that allows us to go to another level in fact the bible says in acts it tells us what the church was doing and what god was doing acts chapter 2 verse 47 says the church was praising god and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. So a God-focused church is what we see here in, the, in, in Acts 2. And then God added to the church or the fellowship those being saved. So a strong God focus deter, it kills drama and it encourages salvation. In fact, John chapter 12 says... Jesus speaking, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now, now, literally, he's talking about whenever he would be lifted up on the cross and make salvation possible for all mankind. But 
but conceptually, he's saying any time that he is lifted up, people will be drawn to Christ. So as we sing and in worship and as we, as we talk about Christ in our lives and so on, it draws people because they see Christ more than they see us. They, they, they see Christ and they hear Christ. And Jesus is attractive. Jesus, Jesus is, is something that we look at and say, wow, I want to be more like him just from the depth of our heart and our soul. We rarely grow in the unaccountable areas of our life, though. So the areas where we're saying, I don't know if I want to be accountable in that spot. That's the part of our life that we're not going to be growing and developing. We have to enter into accountable relationships willingly. In fact, James wrote this. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, that's the not-so-popular part of the verse. The popular part of the verse is, the earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces results. Now, we like that because, I mean, I've heard it all my life. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much, because we were King James people. So, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much, availeth much. But the first part of that verse is equally important as the second. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confessing to God brings forgiveness. Confessing to our brothers and sisters, that brings accountability. Accountability brings healing. It's when Christy says... um, You said you're trying to lose weight, and yet that is your fifth piece of cake. I'm a full-grown man. I can eat as much cake as I want to eat. Don't be telling me what kind of cake I'm going to eat. Okay, but if you want, you said that you wanted to lose weight. That fifth piece isn't going to help you do that. Okay, what she's doing is she's holding me accountable to my own profession. That's why I eat cake in private. <laughs> the, uh... No, that's not accountability. Willingly accept accountability. We, we've got to willingly accept the accountability. So it's, it's when I say to her, hey, babe, you know what? I came home from the office the other day, and uh, I mean, I, I was at the office the other day, and somebody said this and that, and I just, I just started struggling with this attitude. I just, I didn't say anything bad, but my attitude was junk. I mean, it just, I really didn't have a great attitude. And so what will end up, what I've done is I've made myself accountable. And now what happens the next time I'm at the office and somebody says something that strikes me in the wrong way and suddenly my, my attitude starts rising up, then, then I think, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to go home and tell Christy that I had a bad attitude again. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get my attitude under control. It's willing accountability that says, hey, I'm going to be accountable here and it's going to help me heal. And the more times I correct that attitude, the fewer times I'm going to need to. Praise God. Accountability creates growth. And that's what Paul was really dealing with in in Corinth. In the church in Corinth, there was a bad problem going on. There was a gentleman there, a man, who the Bible says was having an affair with his father's wife. Now, this is a big deal. 
And we can go into all the details of that, but there's much about the story we don't know. All we know is what he has said. This is what he has said. And, and there's a lot of debate as to uh, what Paul is, is trying to push against in the, in the church here. My personal opinion is that he is pushing against, the, and, and I'll, I think I'll show you why, the, the amount of grace that the church was showing to this situation. That they were just kind of accepting that it was happening and they weren't saying anything about it. Let's read the, let's read the scripture, 1 Corinthians 5. He said, you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Now, if I asked how many have heard this preached on recently in the church, you would say, most of you would say, probably never heard it preached on. And I, it's not referenced often uh, because it's a difficult thing. And if you're a guest here this morning and you're saying, wait a minute, I'm here for the very first time and they're talking about turning people over to Satan and casting them out and, and all that kind of stuff, what kind of church is this? Well, <laughs> I'm sorry. Next week will be popcorn and things like that. It'll be great. The, um, but... <laughs> Are we supposed to have grace? Yes, we're always supposed to have grace with our brothers and sisters. And we're going to nail that down in just a moment. But accountability is not a lack of grace. In fact, when we read this, look at the scripture. It says that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day of the Lord's return. What Paul was saying is that we have to hold these guys accountable for what they're doing. What they're doing isn't in alignment with the apostles' teaching, and so we need to hold them accountable. We cannot just allow that kind of sin to continue in the church without anything being said about it. And this is a tough thing in our lives. Paul's saying the apostles' teaching is as important or more important such that it should affect how we fellowship together. See, if you had a friend named Bob, and Bob was a really nice guy, so you said, hey, Bob, why don't you come over to the house? And Bob came over to the house, but then when Bob left the house, he carried a few of your things with him as he got into his car and drove away. And then a couple days later, you invited Bob back over, and Bob came over, and, and so you, you, know, you noticed that when Bob left, he once again took some stuff with him that was yours, and now it's in his car, and he's driving away with it. Eventually, you would come to the place where you would say, hey, Bob, you know, last time you were at my house, you left, and my couch went with you. <laughs> and I'm having a problem with that, Bob, because I like that couch. And, and so I'm going to hold you accountable to the fact that you're a thief stealing from my home. And so from this point forward, we'll still be friends, Bob, but you're not coming to my house. We're going to meet at Panera. <laughs> and if you take their silverware, that's your business. And if you haul out their chairs, they'll probably stop you. But we'll still talk. You're just not coming to my house. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He's saying that his soul matters more than even my stuff. 
And so we're going to hold each other accountable for what's going on in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, and in our development in Christ. The purpose of accountability in the church is always salvation. Always salvation. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share one another's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. He's saying, listen, if you're godly, don't go down the same path that they are. And hold them accountable for having gone down that path. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to care enough about me to say, stop what you're doing. Somebody needs to care. When, T- when Talon was small, he went um, riding a tricycle down a hill, and, and I saw a car coming this way, and he couldn't see the car, and he wasn't putting on his brakes, and he was about to cross a road, and I was way far behind him, and I, and I, I couldn't reach him. And so I, I said, Talon, stop! And he put on his brakes. He couldn't stop the tricycle, so he just put his, planted both feet, and here's a little, I don't know, three-year-old, four-year-old, something. It's like this, and smoke's coming from underneath his feet, and, and, uh, and, and, and he stopped, and, and he lived. And he lived, and, and I kept him accountable to safety crossing that street. And I did it, not because I was like, let me show you how I'm going to control this boy. I didn't say it because I, I wanted to exert authority over him. I wanted to save his life. I pray that there are people in my life and I pray that there are people in yours as in your family, in your business, in your church relationships, in your friendships that are looking as much out for your soul as they are for your personal well-being. That they say, you know what? I see you going down this path and I simply love you too much to not say anything while you're going that way. Stop and let me help you back on to the right path. Fellowship brings growth through accountability. And thought number three is that fellowship creates shared histories. Shared histories. In most translations, let me show you, the, uh, let me show you um, Acts 2 really quick in the in NLT, what we just read. So Acts 2.42 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Now, when you look at that translation, most translations ver- uh, use a little bit different word- wording here. So let's go to the New King James here really quick. It says, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, in that phrase, in the breaking of bread... That is specifically referring to the Lord's Supper, or what we call communion. Communion. The believers, following a common teaching, holding common fellowship, and they participated in common memories. They, they remembered the same thing. They, they had a shared history all of a sudden. If you're in the body of Christ today, then you have a similar history with me. Both of us, both of us looked back to a Savior who was raised up on a cross and he shed his blood and he tore his flesh for you and for me. 
It's a history that we share. If you've been saved five minutes or 50 years or 150 years, we have the same history. And we, we remember it together in communion. It's what we do. Mealtimes are intimate. I just told you about Talon as he was a kid, and I'm thinking about that because yesterday was Talon's 19th birthday. And it's hard to believe that he's 19. And yesterday we had a, we had a meal together. And in our house, when it's your birthday, you get to choose whatever meal that you want to eat. So Talon decided that he wanted Spam Musubi, Locomocos, and Banana Cream Cake. That's why I weigh 35 pounds more today than I did yesterday. <laughs> Spam musubi, for those that don't know, it's a Hawaiian uh, delicacy, I guess. And it, it is white rice with fried, uh, with Spam that has been marinated in soy sauce and sugar and then fried in it. Um, and then another thing of rice and all wrapped in seaweed. It's delicious. And I don't care what you say. Spam is delicious. I don't like that I like it, but it is good. I have no clue what it's made out of, but it is wonderful. Um, and if you eat one or two of those, you can work for like four years. You don't even have to eat again. It's, it's amazing. And so that was that. And then a locomoco is a bed of rice with a uh, hamburger on top with an egg that is over easy so the yolk runs and then you pour brown gravy on top of that. I'm sorry for all that have not tried it. It is Now I did have to get up three, three times last night to drink water. I was uh, amazingly dehydrated. And I barely fit in my clothes today. But that's what Talon wanted so that's what Talon got. He got to choose. Well, as we're sitting there talking, it's his birthday, so we start telling memories. Now, Talon's been dating a young lady by the name of Meredith. Meredith joined us for, uh, for this meal. And as we're talking, Meredith's sitting there going, what? what? What do you mean? Who are you talking about? What, what do you mean? What's that story? And it really slowed down our conversation because, <laughs> because she's only been around a few months and and, and we've been around, well, for 19 years with him now. And so we're talking through all of these shared memories, and she doesn't know. But here's what struck me in thinking about the sermon today. Next year, we're going to sit down, and she's going to say, Ah, remember when we had Spam Musubi and Locomocos, which, by the way, she had never had before, because apparently it's not a big deal in, Hawaii, in Ohio. I don't know. Uh, and so, and so she said she could say that, and we would all remember our shared history. And suddenly, the moment would become more intimate. When we talk about communion here at McCord Road, it's, this is why we say, this shared memory is why we say that the table of communion is open for all who call on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord, that all that are, that are calling on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior are welcome at the communion table. We're not wanting to be rude to anyone who doesn't call on the name of the Lord as Savior. But this is a family thing. It's a common history thing. And, and it doesn't matter when you were saved, you're welcome at the table. But if you're not saved, you need to know that you need to be saved. And then you have the common 
history of everyone who's remembering the sacrifice of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. They were gathered, and when they would do communion, there was either a party or there was a war, one of the two. They were having trouble and divisions in the church, and Paul's writing to, the, to them, and he's saying, some of you are trying to do what's right, but many, many are not taking things very seriously. Most of all, it seemed like they weren't really keeping their focus on Jesus. And Paul says, even in communion, some of you go away hungry, and the others of you go away drunk. That's the Bible, not me, that's the Bible. And he says, you're not thinking of each other, much less Christ. So Paul says, I'm not backing off on what, you, what you're supposed to do. And here's what he said. We're going to read it together. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now this is heavy. It's heavy, okay? And the whole chapter is focused on how the church or the body of Christ is supposed to relate with one another. The church is Christ's body on earth. We're covered by the blood of Christ in salvation. His blood was the price for our sins. So I don't think that the the issue that they were dealing with was just a casual nature about the sacrifice of Jesus as much as it was their casual nature about his body in general. You see, the reality is, is that those who honor Jesus honor his body. You can't honor Jesus and dishonor his church because his church is his body so if i if i looked at one of you today and i i won't say anybody particular i did in the first service and it was bad i'm kidding it wasn't but if i looked at somebody and i said i like you i just don't like your body i i honor you but get your body out of here obviously i can't honor you and and dishonor your body like that when we participate in communion together we're remembering the reason we're gathered we honor each other by being together and we honor jesus by remembering the sacrifice that he made our ushers are going to get ready to serve communion to us here in just a moment if you look at the giant redwoods out in california there's something about them that i find very fascinating the average redwood grows to 300 feet tall What is crazy is that their root system only goes down about five or six feet. The question obviously becomes, how does the redwood, 300 feet in the air, survive wind, storms, rain, and so on? How does that happen where where they've only got a root system that is five or six feet in the ground? 
Now, the root system spreads out very wide, but even that itself would not stop a, a tree that weighs over a ton from coming down in heavy wind and rain. But what does stop the redwoods from coming down is that though their root system is only five or six feet under the ground, the roots of one tree weaves together with the roots of the other tree beside it. And then their roots weave in with others and others and others until underneath the surface, five or six feet deep, you have an interwoven network of roots that are standing there. And in fact, long after a tree has died, it will remain standing strong and firm because the root system of the rest of the trees will not let it fall. We are standing here today. We have people in this room, we have people in the other services who were here when this church was launched 50 plus years ago. We, we have people who were here over, the, over many years who, who were here and who sowed into and, and their root system grew and developed. And some of them we remember today, even though we've never met them, we remember them and we honor them and their, their, their heritage, their, their memory is strong because it's interwoven into the fabric of what makes us up here today. We, we're standing here and some of, us, some of us are not as strong as we should be in the kingdom of God. But, come here guy. But if we are linked do you mind helping me? We're just, we're just linked. If our root system is strong, maybe Guy isn't strong. Maybe my friend here isn't strong. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. What's your name? Chris. Chris. Chris is strong. <laughs> maybe they're strong and I'm weak. We can all stand better. We can all stand stronger because the root system, what is the root system? The root system is the teaching of the apostles it entwines us together common fellowship common memories entwine us together and suddenly when I can't stand anymore and I've just had enough and one person too many has complained about something and not y'all other services not this service <laughs> the, when I'm just feeling weighted down what life and family and whatever the situation may be in my world who I'm in fellowship with is going to determine how strong I can stand and what standard I will remain living in. Thank you, gentlemen. Our ushers are coming now to serve the communion elements. And I would encourage you, we're going to take a quiet moment just to think about where we're at in Christ. And if you've never allowed him to be your Lord and Savior, then I encourage you today to make that choice. Just tell him, Jesus, I, I repent of my sins and I accept you today as my Lord and my Savior. I know that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. The, you're the only way to the Father. I accept that. And today I give you my life and I accept you as my God, my Savior. That's you today. I encourage you to pray that prayer and to step into the family of God.
Communion is not something we do to be saved. It's something we do because we are saved. It's celebrating why we're saved. It's kind of like Memorial Day here in the United States. In Memorial, on Memorial Day, we, we get together and we celebrate those who have fallen. We are a free nation that is celebrating the reason we're free. Men and women have given their lives for us to be free. We don't celebrate Memorial Day to be free, but because we are free. Participating in communion is not a game today. It's a common, thank you, it's a common memory. It's a common purpose. And so I'm going to ask us to just take a moment, and we're going to be quiet together. I ask you just to examine your life. What standard are you holding to? Who are you intentionally fellowshipping with? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Just bow our heads and let's, let's think about our life for a moment. Are there attitudes that need to adjust? Sins that need to be repented of? Family issues that need to be addressed? What is it in your life? Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being together. We thank you that we have the honor of remembering what you've done for every one of us, no matter how long we've been saved. We have a common history in you. And so today we remember your body as we take this bread honoring your body today. Church, let's, let's take the body. Take the bread and remember the body. Jesus, I thank you for your blood shed for me on Calvary. You didn't have to do it, but you did. And I thank you for it today. Church, let's remember the blood as we take the cup. Thank you, Jesus. In a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. Our elders are going to come forward, and we're going to, if you need prayer today, just make your way forward, and we're going to pray with you. I encourage you to take time to meet somebody today. Meet somebody that you've never met before. Shake their hand. Tell them hello. Invite somebody to lunch. Invite somebody to join you at the picnic. They need fellowship. I need fellowship. You need fellowship. The reason why God is speaking to us about this today is because he loves us and he cares that we have come together. Let's stand to our feet. Elders, come forward. Let's worship in this last song.